Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today, our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, will deliver a message about idolatry, citing the biblical story of the battle between the Israel God, Yahweh, and the Philistine God, Dagon. If you would like to follow along with the message, you can find this story in 1 Samuel chapters 5 and 6. You can also find our weekly message outline and many other resources on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood app. Our prayer is that this message will assist you in identifying any idols you may have in your own life. Okay, back to our series, Belonging to God. Do you belong to God? And then the next question, of course, is how do you know? How does it show? Today we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 4, chapter 5, as we continue surveying the life of Samuel. And what were the three roles that Samuel fulfilled? Priest. Prophet, judge. Priest, prophet, judge, yes. Today's message is entitled, Idolatry. If you take out your message guide, you'll see there the theme verse actually comes from 1 John chapter 5. And it says, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. That's really the definition of idolatry. Anything that takes God's place in your heart or in your life. The first commandment forbids having any gods besides the Lord. And what's his personal name? Yahweh. Because the reason is, is because God is jealous for our affection, for our worship, for our attention. And he won't tolerate affection for any other gods, whatever form they may take. You can see it in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 are the commandments. Now you say, well, we don't worship other gods. We don't have statues in our house. But there are many different forms of idolatry. And we may be susceptible to some of the others. Idolatry, as 1 John 5 says, is really placing anything ahead of God. It it can include adoring something or someone more than God. You see, idols can be persons. It can even be family members or certainly some romantic interest. Some celebrity, perhaps, that you haven't even met. Possessions materialism. It's interesting, the scripture in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5 calls greed idolatry, wanting to accumulate. It can be a position or some power. It can be based on the development of my pride and my ego. It can be my own body or my appearance. I can spend so much of my time and energy and even my affection on how I look. I know y'all may say, well, he obviously doesn't, but, but that's beside the point. It might, here you go, hold on to your chairs, okay? Felicia, tell them, hold on to the chairs. See, you thought I didn't know your name. I've just been leaving you alone. It might be a sports team 
Oh, my goodness. Well, how do we know? Well, how do you feel the morning after a loss? You see what I'm saying? Like enjoying sports is no problem. But if, 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 if what happens on a field played by some 20-year-olds affects you emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually, it's too much. It's too far. Might be a hobby. It could be my own popularity. You notice how many people are addicted to their own popularity. How many likes did I get? How many followers do I have? I know we're laughing about this, but I'm, I, I want you to talk to the Lord and let the Lord really show you what's going on. I've been reading a few articles by some of these tech leaders, executives in some of these companies. And, and several of them are stepping away and saying that it's, it's damaging our culture, maybe damaging ourselves and our children emotionally, all this concentration of social media and see the, 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 it's all involvement in self, self. Well, who liked me? Who didn't like me? What's on my wall? I mean, you, you see what I'm saying? Because again, it's essentially anything that diverts our attention, our devotion away from God. Idolatry includes seeking in this world what can only be found in God. Peace, joy, contentment, security, even self-esteem. Because self-esteem is related to identity. And so if we're trying to find something in this world to lay our hands on, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, to make us feel better, to buoy us, to hold us up, it's a form of idolatry. And when we seek inner satisfaction by, by um, tactile, external, physical things, indulging our appetites, uh, stimulating our senses, and it can, we can use food, sex, drugs, alcohol. Again, that's a form of idolatry. Peace can't be found in this world. And so we are seeking a counterfeit peace, a temporary peace. I think, particularly in our culture, we've substituted entertainment. You know, you say, I don't have any time for God. I can't, how could I be intimate with God? Well, it takes time. And if our lives are flooded with entertainment, you won't have time. If I'm seeking these brief feelings of excitement and happiness, and there's nothing wrong with, you know, having friends and birthday parties. There's nothing wrong with that. Understand when it's something that's not bad in itself, it's put to a place it doesn't belong. That's when it's detrimental. And so we can, we can seek these, these bursts of happiness and, 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 and feelings of excitement for lasting peace, joy, and contentment, which are all spiritual conditions. So what do I idolize? 
Anybody discovered anything they idolized as I've described it? Let me see some hands. You have something that you think you might be idolizing. Let me see some hands. Okay, there you go. Okay, you see something that the person beside you might be idolizing. Let me see those hands. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Come on. Come on. What do I think about? What do I desire? What do I seek to attain satisfaction? Look at it that way. Results of, results of idolatry. I've just had, I pulled out three. One, powerlessness is revealed. And we're at 1 Samuel 5. I'm cutting out a lot of these passages. Believe it, I am sensitive to the time. And it's taken too long in some of the, my messages. I don't want to be presumptive on you. So I want to cover the text, but I don't, I don't, I don't want to ignore the clock. So understand that. After the Philistines captured the Ark of God... They took it from the battleground of Ebenezer to the town of Ashdod. You heard J.C. preaching last week, chapter 4. They carried the ark of God into the temple of Dagon and placed it beside an idol of Dagon. You see, they don't, these, these people don't think the statue is the God. The statue symbolizes, represents the God. But the problem is you're not supposed to have a representation of our God of any kind. You know, even in the, in the wilderness, when Aaron, Moses went up on the mount, and Aaron and the people produced these golden calves that were supposed to represent the strength of God, they were destroyed, because, and it was idolatry. But they really were trying to associate something tangible with something intangible, God. So we're not supposed to associate something tangible for God either. Because it becomes a diversion from God, from focusing on God. Now, Dagon was the god of grain, and he became the Philistines' principal god after they arrived in Canaan. You can see Judges 16, 1 Chronicles 10. Who were the Philistines? Well, they were a very aggressive sea people. And they actually migrated across the Aegean Sea from the island of Crete, and from the surrounding area, the coastal area. So you think, well, I thought they were Arabs. No, they were actually Greeks. Today they would be, called, be, be referenced as Greeks. And they settled on the Mediterranean coastal plain of Gaza, which is, is sort of southwest Israel. And they settled there initially about 1200 B.C. Now, the Greek word that's translated Palestine comes from the Hebrew word that is translated Philistine. So Palestinians, one, are not Arabs. They are actually from a Greek origin. And Palestinians and Philistines, there's a direct line between those two. Surprising, isn't it? The Philistines, you see, thought that their victory in battle over Israel and capturing the ark, which was... The symbol of God. You say, well, isn't that an idol? No, they weren't to ever worship the ark. The ark was actually a place where the Spirit of God touched down. And so people would pray not to the ark, not to the angels on the ark, not to the gold mercy seat on the top of the ark, but they're praying to the unseen God whose glory, the Shekinah is called, 
touches at that particular point. So it just gave them a focus for God. And so they, they captured the ark and they believed that their God was superior to the Hebrew God. And so they, they brought this ark into the temple of Dagon. And they did it to honor Dagon because, see, they believe now that the Israel God, Israel's God was subordinate to Dagon. And the Philistines, they, kept, they attracted a lot of gods, you know. They would have a lot of them. So they, they didn't exclude them. They just would pull them in there and they just would order them. But Dagon was the top god. Verse 3, but when the citizens of Ashdod went to see it the next morning, Dagon had fallen with his face to the ground in front of the ark of the Lord. So see, it's, it's suggesting that Dagon is in submission to Yahweh, the Lord of Israel. So this is almost a humorous statement. So they took Dagon and they put him back in his place again. Who's in control of the God? So in other words, any God you're in control of, what, Brandon? Is not God. Is not God. So they put him back up, and then the next time, this, but the next morning, the same thing happened. Dagon had fallen face down before the ark of the Lord again. This time, his head was broken off, which symbolized death. His hands were broken off, which symbolized powerlessness. Only the trunk of his body was left. So you see, in this battle between deities, what was demonstrated is that Yahweh, the God of Israel, was superior, was more powerful than Dagon, who could not protect himself or his people. We go to 5-5. That is why to this day, neither the priests of Dagon nor anyone who enters the temple of Dagon in Ashdod will step on its threshold. Because they were recognizing and they were in awe of the humiliation of their God. And that it was believed that, and it's been written, that that, that observance extended into the first centuries A.D., into several centuries after Jesus was born in Gaza. The point here is that God overpowers every other God or idol that we may rely on for well-being, for security, for protection, instead of him. All right, here it comes. Hold on to your seat. We think that a healthy lifestyle will protect us from disease and lengthen our lives. Sometimes, it appears, sometimes not so. But we can be so focused on eating the right on you know swallowing the right powders and avoiding these other things we can be so focused on that that we can focus on preserving our life that way and miss out that God is the one in control of our lives now y'all hear me on this 
I don't want any notes. I'm not saying we don't exercise and eat correctly, but we do it as stewards of the gift of the physical body we've been given in relationship to God. You see what I'm saying? Job 14, 5, Psalm 139, 16, 1 John 6, I mean 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Read all those. We also pursue riches to protect us from harm. Have you noticed that? What's in my 401k? What's in my 403b? But do you realize money can't truly provide anything that's really valuable? Money can't provide love, friendship, joy, relationships, peace, or even security, as the stock market has shown us this past week. I'm not saying that, but, but, but we have to eat, we have to pay mortgage. Yes, be wise again. But it's all in attitude. If that's what occupies your mind, your energy, your efforts, to the neglect of God, you have an idol. We can embrace evolution and science and, and all the get all wound up about that to eradicate God, to make him unnecessary. But eventually, well, I'll just say this first. Every person knows the reality of God. Go to any funeral, memorial service. Even a person who has shown no interest in, in faith or Christianity their whole lives. Everyone knows the reality of God. That's why I don't really ask... I don't try to talk people into believing. I ask them why they don't believe. What happened? What did you experience that caused you to suppress what you know inside is true? I mean, think about it. Even before you were born again, you had an awareness that there was God. You, you suppress it. Romans 1 talks all about that. You can read 19 through 20. But ultimately, all of us will give an account to God for the way we've used our lives. And we can deny Him all we want. We can get all into evolution. It, I'm not going to try to argue you out of that. I mean, is the, is the earth only 10,000, 12,000 years old? Is it millions of years old? You can get all wound up in that even. There's, there's, there are books that, you know, talk about the creation by God if you want to read them. But I don't think most people deny really because they've studied. They deny for more personal reasons, usually for sin reasons. They don't want to be told by any God what they are supposed to do. And so they use that as a deflection. But ultimately, all of us will give an account. But you know, there's this other form of people that acknowledge God and they'll even thank God for good circumstances. But like these Philistines, they've merely added him to the throne room of the God they really recognize. You know who that is? 
themselves. Themselves. But God will not occupy a subservient role in our lives. So here's a question for us. Am I claiming faith but trying to put God in a subservient role? He serves me. I don't serve him. So am I claiming faith but not allowing God to direct my life with his word. Another result of idolatry is that punishment will be received. It will be dispersed. Verse 6. Then the Lord's heavy hand struck the people of Ashdod and the nearby villages with a plague of tumors. Now many commentators believe that this reference to tumors was a reference to the bubonic plague. Now, in other translations, particularly if you have King James, they believed it was a reference to hemorrhoids, which I'm sure is misery, but I don't know if it's quite as, causes as much as this. But So most commentators today believe it was Tumors are boils that result of the black plague, which were caused by rats. Because in, in chapter 6, verse 4, there's a mention of rats. Now, here's a question for you, a scientific question. Do rats, did rats cro- cause the black plague? What did? The fleas on the rats caused the black plague. But the infestation of rats brought with it the fleas and the black plague. So it's believed that this is probably a reference to the black plague, which, which didn't, didn't produce tumors, but it did produce boils and swelling. Verse 7. When the people realized what was happening, they cried out, We can't keep the ark of God of Israel here any longer. He is against us. We will all be destroyed along with Dagon, our God. So they called together the rulers of the Philistine towns. There were five, five Philistine towns, and asked, what should we do with the ark of the God of Israel? The rulers discussed it and replied, move it to the town of Gath. So they moved, yeah, that's right. What if you were in Gath? That's the- <laughs> so they moved the ark of the God of Israel to Gath. But when the ark arrived at Gath, the Lord's heavy hand fell on its men, young and old. He struck them with a plague of tumors, and there was a great panic. They didn't, you know, the, the people understood quickly that it was God's hand against them, didn't they? But the leaders would not acquiesce to that. They did not accept it was punishment from God. They just were saying, well, this is probably just localized illness. Have you noticed when, when there may be a, a, something happen in our culture that appears to be a judgment of God, how quickly that's shut down? And if anyone ever says such as that, you're, they're extremely ridiculed. Now, we have to be careful saying those things when you don't have the Scripture revealing it. But you better not be too quick to say, oh, it's just, it's, it's just the flu. It has nothing to do with our, the way our culture is living or, or anything. So they sent the ark of God to the town of Ekron. But when the people of Ekron saw it coming, they cried out, they're bringing the ark of God of, it, the God of Israel here to kill us too. 
The people knew it was God's punishment. But again, the leaders. And the people summoned these Philistine rulers again and begged them, please send the ark of the God of Israel back to its own country or it will kill us all. For the deadly plague from God has already begun and great fear was sweeping across the town. And those who didn't die were afflicted with tumors and the cry from the town rose to heaven. It's interested in it. The, the leaders, what did the leaders do to, to uh, alleviate the suffering? They just moved it from town to town. None of these leaders would say, perhaps we've offended God. Sounds a little like today, doesn't it? No, there's some other cause of this. The reason this, this, this cultural distress, the reason this problem is cropping up, the reason all, none of it can have to do with disobedience, disobedient lifestyles or, 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 or people's sin or anger or wrath. Or, you hear nothing like that, do you? In our culture, when people hear convicting words about their lifestyles from God's Word, they typically don't repent and seek to be right with God. What do they typically attempt to do? What do you think, Melvin? Fix it themselves and silence the Word. Silence the source of their conviction. Do you see any evidence in our culture of that happening? Removal of the Bible, removal of prayer, removal, the shutting down of Christian speakers, even eliminating nativity scenes from every public setting. You aren't allowed to say anything about biblical morality. Shutting down the source. It's the same as the Philistines. You know, I, I was read this week also that a group of atheists from up north complained about gospel music being offered at a Martin Luther King celebration in Hobbs, New Mexico. Martin Luther King was a pastor. And, and the core of the civil rights movement wasn't just, just an exercise of power. It was emphasizing the dignity, the equality of every person regardless of color. Because each and every person possesses the image of God and deserves dignity just According to that. And so here's this group trying to eliminate a gospel orientation from Martin Luther King's memory. Philistines are running amok in our land. 1 Samuel 6. The ark of the Lord remained in the Philistine territory seven months in all. Shuffling it from place to place. Then the Philistines called in their priest 
and diviners and asked them, what should we do about the ark of the Lord? Tell us how to return it to its own country. So they've become desperate. The Philistines are now beginning to grasp that they had offended a powerful God. And so they are fearfully, frantically seeking a solution. But they didn't ask the people who would know. They didn't ask any of the Jews. They asked their own religious leaders. Again, don't we see that in our culture? I read another article about that said your cells don't die immediately when your heart stops beating. And they're saying, so there's a sense that life goes on. I wonder where they go. But they will never ask a pastor. You see, you see it? It's the same thing. We're going to shut down the source of truth that we do not accept. Same thing. 1 Samuel 6, 3. Send the ark of the God of Israel back with a gift, they were told. Send a guilt offering so the plague will stop. Then, if you are healed... They weren't so sure, were they? You will know it was his hand that caused the plague. Now, the Philistines didn't have, you know, like the law of Moses. They didn't have a guilt offering like the Jews did. Like from Leviticus 5 is where the Jews understood guilt offering. But they did understand this concept of dishonoring their gods and the need to make recompense through some kind of sacrifice or offering or service. And they were told, latter part of verse 4, since the plague has struck both you and your, five, and your five rulers, make five gold tumors and five gold rats, just like those that have ravaged your land. See, that's really the first mention of rats. Make these things to show honor to the God of Israel. Perhaps then, see, they're not sure. He will stop afflicting you, your gods, and your land. Then the Philistines formulated a plan to determine whether the cause of their troubles was just a natural event, just coincidence, or a supernatural one from God. And drop to verse 7. Now build a new, a new cart. And find two cows that have just given birth to calves. Make sure the cows have never been yoked to a cart. Hitch the cows to the cart, but shut their calves away from them in a pen. Put the ark of the Lord on the cart, and beside it place a chest containing the gold rats and gold tumors you're sending as a guilt offering. Then let the cows go wherever they want. If they cross the border of our land and go to Beth Shemesh, we will know it was the Lord who brought this great disaster upon us. And if they don't, we will know it was not his hand that caused the plague. It simply came by chance. See, they still want to disprove God. Now, does this make sense to you? Any of you grow up on a farm? Cows have to be trained to pull a cart together. 
So they're not going to be very effective moving a cart if they've never been trained. So there was, there was already that issue against the cart going to the Jewish lands. But here was an even stronger tendency. If they had calves, they weren't likely to leave the calves that were nursing to pull away from where their calves had been shut up. So you have a couple of things working against these cows pulling this cart uphill away from where their calves were enclosed to take it into Jewish lands. Verse 12, here's what happened. Y'all already knew what happened. And sure enough, without veering off in other directions, the cows went straight along the road toward Beth Shemesh, lowing as they went. You know what lowing is? Yeah, they have a deep, low sound. They don't go moo, moo. (laughs) See, the point here is that when tragedy struck, these Philistines had only their God to seek for relief. And he'd already been proven to be weaker than the Hebrews' God. But they did not seek the Hebrew God. You ever seen that? You ever known anyone whose life was in, like my mother would say, life was in a mess? You ever known anybody whose life was in a mess? And they will try every, read every book and every, every way of fixing their life and improving their problems, but God. But God. When we reject God and we pursue idols of our own creation... For aid and relief, God will often allow us to do it. But He won't answer in our hour of need. Again, you can see it in Romans chapter 1. See, the point is I have a concept of God, you have a concept of God. But if your concept or my concept of God, doesn't reflect God as he's revealed himself, then my God's an idol. Does that make sense? Back there on the back row, you getting this? If I invent a God according to my preferences, I'm not worshiping the true God at all. But the problem is, when tragedy strikes, I'm left with the God of my construct. Not the true God. So, when, when, when you have difficulty, when tragedy strikes your life, where do you turn? What God do you seek for help? I want you to think about it. What, what is he like? What is his characteristics? Is he the God the scripture teaches of? Or is he the God of your, your own projection? Because I fear there's no power in that God. What do you think, Bruce? Is that God reliable? Because you're really only left with you. The God you worship in that instance, you can find him in your mirror. Our third result of idolatry is 
that presumption is rebuked. Verse 13. The people of Beth Shemesh were harvesting wheat in the valley. Now, Beth Shemesh was a Levitical city. Remember, the different tribes were given different cities. So this city was populated by Levites, people who, who worked in the, the tabernacle, who served God, who worked with sacrifices and all of that. And they were harvesting wheat in the valley. This is very likely June. And when they saw the ark, they were overjoyed. The cart came into a field of a man named Joshua and stopped beside a large rock. So the people broke up the wood of the cart for a fire and killed the cows and sacrificed them to the Lord as a burnt offering. Several men of the tribe of Levi lifted the ark of the Lord and the chest containing the gold rats and gold tumors from the cart and placed them on the large rock. Remember, the only ones that could touch it would have been Levites and in particular, Kohathites. Many sacrifices and burnt offerings were offered to the Lord that day by the people of Beth Shemesh. The five Philistine rulers watched all this and then returned to Ekron. Now let's, let's skip down to, to 19. But see what's happening. Okay, the ark has arrived and the people have celebrated. They, they have chopped up the cart for wood. They killed the, the two animals pulling the cart. And offered them as sacrifices. And so this looks like a pretty good reception of the cart, doesn't it? Don't you think? It wasn't. Look at this next startling passage. Verse 19. But the Lord killed 70 men from Beth Shemesh. Because they looked into the ark of the Lord. Startling. And the people mourned greatly because of what the Lord had done. Now, these were God's people. They were Levites. They knew God's law. They understood how to properly offer sacrifices. They knew how to handle the sacred items in the tabernacle. But they made several mistakes. They presumed on God. They acted as though these things didn't matter. They disrespected God. First, cows were never to be sacrificed, only bulls. Leviticus 1.3. Further and fatally, these men looked into the ark. Even though the scripture in Numbers 4 clearly say, never look into the ark or you'll die. But they were curious and suddenly they have it in their hands. And instead of being behind the curtain in the tabernacle, here it is on a rock. So some of them got curious and they thought, well, look, it's right here. I'm going to take a look. And they presumed on God, and they lost their lives. They treated God disrespectfully. They ignored his explicit commands. But our reaction might be, well, how dare God do that? You see, because we have domesticated God, and we think God serves us instead of understanding we serve God. Do we treat God too casually? Forgetting that he is holy. And holy 
holy doesn't mean, you know, doing everything right. It means different. God is different than us. And he's righteous. Well, how did the people respond to this startling event? At verse 20. Who is able to stand in the presence of the Lord? This holy God, they cried out. Where can we send the ark away from here? See, they didn't examine themselves. They didn't say, what have we done? How have we offended God? They just had a desire to get rid of the ark. They behaved just like who? The Philistines. They behaved just like the Philistines. Continues. So so they found somewhere to send it. So they sent messengers to the people at Kiriath-Jerim and told them, the Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come here and get it. Wouldn't y'all like to have it? Come over here and get God. Do we treat God the same way? Rejecting him when he disciplines us. Do we discard God because of the Bible's teaching on morality, in particular in our culture? And there's, a, there's one example of it today where people reject anything the Bible says about morality, sexuality, all of those things, marriage, and still claim a relationship with him. Now, God loves his children. But a father disciplines those he loves. Because we're shaping our children's lives to succeed. And if we say, oh, no, I love them too much to discipline, that's really self-centeredness. That's not love for the child. God's discipline, you see, allows us to share in His holiness, which produces greater intimacy. Some things have to go from our lives. Do you know that? In order to have intimacy with God. But any relationship is like that, isn't it? If you want to have intimacy with someone, some things probably have to go. Linda, did some things have to go from him? Absolutely, she said. (laughs) And when we want to have intimacy with God, some things need to go. Well, I'm going to be myself. Well, then you're going to be yourself alone. Do we show our love for God by keeping his commandments, by demonstrating honor and respect for him as our heavenly father? You know, more was expected of the Jews, wasn't it, than the Philistines. And God expects more from his people than he does those who don't know him. Not only are teachers held to a higher standard, every child of God is held to a higher standard to know how to relate to him 
rightly. Our counselors will be here if you want to pray with someone. They'll anoint with oil for healing. Again, it doesn't happen automatically, but it does happen as we pray and ask God. Also remember, there's a welcome reception if you're new to Brookwood. 1015, right over here at Pada. Father, we thank you for this word. And Lord, help us not to just reject you and resist with your word. But Lord, let us be changed by it so that we may have greater intimacy with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. If you have any questions about this message or you would like to request prayer, we encourage you to visit our website at brookwoodchurch.org forward slash get help. You can also find our message archives on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.